All right, well, what's up, everyone? My name is uh, Matt. For those of you who don't know me, I hope you're all doing well tonight. I'm the, I'm the campus minister here at University Church of Christ, and I get to work with college students every week here at Aggies for Christ. And if this is your first time or if you've been with us for years and years and years, uh, we have a lot going on in these next couple weeks. We do. We have a lot of announcements. Um, we have, we have intramurals you can still play. We have a prayer breakfast in the morning. We have small groups you can still go to. And the big one is the progressive dinner that our host church, UCC, is hosting for on November 14th. Now we have a lot of announcements. I really want to harp on them, but we have a time for that at the end of the service today. Okay, that, ha that um, at the end of the service, I really want you guys to tune in to those announcements because we have some good ones. But right now, on this platform, I hate doing announcements. I hate it. I just want to get right into what we're going to talk about tonight. So with that being said, and without anything else on your mind, I want you to, I want you to clear your minds. I want you to let go of whatever you're holding to. Anything that's preoccupied your thoughts to this point in the week, be it work or school or uh, relationship problems or roommate issues, we need to clear it out. We need to clear it out right now in this moment. Because what I'm going to ask you to do tonight is I'm going to ask you to think. I'm going to ask you to think really, really hard, okay? Um, we need a... We need a biblical basis for, for thinking. If we, if we need that, we can go to Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, for an 18 to 25-year-old, it's pretty easy for us to love the Lord with our, with our heart and with our soul, with our emotions. I mean, if the worship team plays the song Oceans Just Right, I mean, there's going to be four or five girl, girls in here that are just breaking down crying. You know, guys, guys are capable of this too. When you come to church on a Sunday morning and you're loved by a church the way UCC loves co college students or the way AFC loves each other, it kind of feels warm and fuzzy. At, at this age, it kind of feels, it feels good to be a Christian. It's easy to be emotional about something like that. And it's hard to want to share our mental capacities too. Hey, I'm, a, I'm an engineering major. I'm an accounting major. I'm a nursing major. Like, I, don't have, I don't have room up here to keep thinking about other stuff. That's why we Netflix binge, right? We just want to turn it off for a while and just focus on something else. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we're going to claim Christianity too, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Now, Jesus, I'm sure he wants us to be emotional about the things that he's done for us. Like, man, the cross? He didn't have to do that for us. I mean, the, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, yeah, that's definitely something to be emotional about. But he wants our minds, too. He wants you to study the word. He wants you to study things of God. And he wants you to come to a conclusion that God really does make sense. God does make sense. There's smarter people, uh, much smarter than me, that came to this conclusion. One of Einstein's most famous quote, Einstein said, The more I study science, the more I believe in God. The more I study science, the more I believe in God. That's from Einstein. He's probably smarter than everybody in this room combined. But the way he saw things put together, the way he saw the position of the earth and the sun and the way he just saw life and creation, he knew that the more he studied, that it pointed to a creator. And so tonight, I want to cut out everything and I want to focus on three things, okay? Three, three little objects that we're going to use. The first object over here tonight, the way we're going to help think about God, is we're going to play with Legos. Okay, this is object number one. Stool number one, we're going to think about Legos. Over here on stool number two, we have a couple of Bibles stacked together. We're going to talk about God's Word and why it's so amazing. And on stool number three, probably the first time ever used in a sermon analogy, I have a green chili double cheeseburger. Can I get an amen? From Whataburger. And an ice cold 
Dr. Pepper. An ice cold Dr. Pepper. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to use our minds. And we're going to use these three objects, these three stools, and we're going to use them to defend our faith. A fancy word that we use for defending the faith is apologetics. Now, if a couple of you in here were here um, over a year ago when I gave an apologetics talk, it's going to be kind of similar. We're just going to present it in a different way. But it is. It's time to defend our faith with our minds. It's time to love the Lord our God with our minds, not just our emotions. So I ask you, with a clear, open mind and with a desire to think, for the next 22 minutes, I timed it out. That's all I'm going to talk for tonight, less than that now. For the next 20 minutes or so, just clear your mind and let's think about higher things. Now, um, I have Legos and Whataburger on the stage, so I'm going to need to pray for the sermon one more time. Will you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, um, understanding you, as it's been said, is like a gnat trying to drink the ocean. With that idea in mind, um, God, I'm going to try to use a cheeseburger and, some, and a toy um, to help describe um, the majesty of you and why um, you not only make sense, but, but creation points to you. So God, tonight I pray as we use these analogies and we use your word, um, I pray that hearts will be soft and open and receptive to what you want to say. And it's your son's name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Uh, I want to start tonight with a story. I want to start tonight with a story. Um, Monday, I was on an airplane, and for the most part, I'm a pretty normal air traveler. Like, uh, I'm somewhat extroverted, so I can sit next to a stranger and I can talk to him a little bit. Um, I, airports really don't bother me. The hecticness of it all, it really doesn't get to me. Uh, unless I get a window seat, and then I get real, real weird. If I get a window seat, I get super quiet, and I kind of shut down. You can ask my buddy Taylor, who was playing bass tonight. He sat next to me on the plane. Um, I sat on the window seat from LA to El Paso Monday. I didn't say a word, probably about five words. That's probably about all I said, because I can't. I can't, I'm too busy looking out the window like a little kid on his first flight. When you fly out of LAX, you gotta fly over, um, you gotta fly over the ocean for a little bit before you head back into town, or, or, or you head back east, and uh, when I'm, flying over, when I'm flying over the ocean, I'm looking out, and I'm like, man, guys, the ocean is so big. The ocean is so big. It's like, um, I mean, last year we lost a 737. With all, with all of our technology, we lost a 737 in the ocean last year. I mean, forget outer space. The, the, next, uh, the next dimension that we need, we can't, we're never going to find out is like all the mysteries in the ocean. It's so big. You feel so small when you're on a plane looking at the ocean or the geography of the land. When you start flying over dry land, you start seeing like all these, all these valleys and all these ravines where you can see water used to be. I mean, I, I mean, you guys heard of the great flood of Noah. When you're in an airplane, you can't help but look at the, the curvature of the land and where the water used to go and all these veins where you can tell water used to trickle, these dried up lakes. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I'm never, I never believe in the flood more than on an airplane. And then you get to the cities. You start flying over cities and you see streets, and houses, and little tiny swimming pools, and football stadiums. And you start thinking about the people, and all their stories, and everything that's going on in their life. As a Christian, I love to fly. If I was an atheist, I would look at that window seat, I would close the window, and I would, I would try to sleep it off. If I was an atheist looking out the window of a plane, um, I'd be freaked out to look at everything below me, Everything on that small flight, that two-hour flight from L.A. to El Paso, is by chance. That everything else in the universe is by chance. 
but chance and randomness is something that the atheist or the non-believer has to answer for. When you think about defending your faith, I'm sure a lot of people in the room think about um, the movie God's Not Dead, right? That you're going to be that lone Christian at the front of the classroom and you're going to have to go against your PhD professor or your liberal um, classmates who, who want to argue against the existence of God. I, I, I understand that's the fear. You, you have this idea of this, this atheist, right? He's staring you down, wanting you to give the perfect answer, waiting for you to stumble when you're defending your faith. But the point I want to make tonight is that the atheist has just as much to prove as we do. The atheist can answer the questions first. He has to answer the same exact things we do. Creation, purpose, logic, reason. The atheist has to answer for these things. The atheist has to answer for this Lego. This is a 53-piece uh, Lego set. Um, got it at Walmart. I actually took the, the wheels off of it. And it has like about 18 pieces. So it's down to about 35-ish pieces, OK? It says it's for ages um, 6 to 12. And uh, when I bought this toy, um, I sat down and I timed it. Now, you could call me the creator. You could call me the god of these Legos, whatever, whatever it is you want to call me. But with the help of the instructions, I built this Lego in three minutes. I mean, I'm an Aggie alumni, so I beasted this thing. Three minutes it took me to put this together. I know you're all impressed. So I have to ask you a question, and it's a rhetorical question because it's a stupid question. But what is more complex, this little tiny airplane or the universe in which we live? Ah, it's such a dumb question. It's not even worth asking, right? Clearly, the universe and everything around us is more complex. But if I started taking this Lego apart, piece by piece, and I started putting it in this box, I'm going to have to answer for something here in a minute that the atheist is going to have to answer for, too. Oh, now it's not going to go back together. It's not going to go back together anyways. That's the point of the analogy. Um, see, I believe as a Christian in a creator. I believe that um, I believe in the Christian creation story as told in Genesis. I'm going to break this apart just a little bit more. Kind of like me, I believe that there was an intelligent designer to this universe. The atheist has to answer for chance. He has to answer the same question I have to answer about creation. He has to answer about the sun, the moon, the stars, the Grand Canyon, the Amazon River. The atheist has to answer for that. Because no matter how long I shake this box, the randomness of the pieces in here, what do you think the odds are that I get two of the right pieces together where they're supposed to go? Just two of them. I'll just sit here and shake for a little bit and we'll see if we get any. How much time do you have? How much time do you have tonight to sit here and let me shake this box? Maybe a day, maybe two days. Do you think maybe ever that two exact pieces that go where they're supposed to go on this are, supposed to, are gonna come together? What about one of the wings? What about the whole plane itself? Do you think it's gonna come back together the more I shake? Maybe one of you is a better shaker than me, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to come back together. The Christian story, creation story, at least God tells us in Genesis how he did it, or that he did it. The atheist has to answer the same question, that a universe far more complex than this randomly happened and came together and formed you and formed me and brought us all here tonight. That's what the atheist has to answer for.
The sermon point number one tonight is the Christian creation story makes the most sense. The Christian creation story makes the most sense. All right, Matt, you successfully defended one point against an atheist. What about other faiths that claim uh, that a god or a, or, a, or a theistic being created the universe or a bunch of beings created the universe? What about other faiths? What sets Christianity apart? Simply put, the Bible. The Bible. The most printed book in the history of creation. Did you know that? There's more books of the Bible in circulation than any other book. It's also the most stolen book in the world. The most stolen book ever. It is an amazing piece of literature. At least 40 authors that we know of put together this book. 40 authors help put together one story. Not only did 40 authors help put together one story, but it was put together in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Three different languages, this thing was put together. One story. Not only did 40 authors in three different languages put together this story, but it happened over a time of 1,500 years. 1,500 years ago, this book was put together. It tells one story. You guys remember the game Phone from Elementary School? Or you'd whisper a, seat, a sentence and it'd go and then be funny at the end because nobody got it right. If we started back here in the seat back here with one sentence and we brought it all the way through all these people to this seat right here, one sentence, one language, over a five-minute period, we wouldn't get it right. We wouldn't get it right. But somehow the Bible has stayed intact. It has survived. In the 1940s, um, there was an archaeological find called um, near the Dead Sea. It was called the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found. It was a collection of scrolls um, that dated as, as old as um, 2,000 years, some of these scrolls. And what it had is it had pieces uh, of the Bible in it. And so they took these pieces and they started translating it and they compared it next to the Bible that we have today. Some of the oldest manuscripts ever found, some of the oldest manuscripts ever, not just the Bible ever found, but ever found, and they compared it to what we had today. 97% accurate. Not just 97% accurate to the Bible we have today, but the only 3% difference was verb usage. So the story didn't change. The story didn't change. It was verb usage. That was the only difference. You can Google it tonight. That's a fact I feel more than comfortable with you Googling right now. The Dead Sea Scrolls are true. How did it survive? How does the story stay accurate? How does it stay relevant to us today? You can come up with a lot of explanations, but for me, I think it's God. The atheist has to answer this question as well. And finally, the last stool. The question everyone has is how does a green chili double cheeseburger and a Dr. Pepper have to, go, how, what does it have to do with defending your faith? Well, one thing that we believe as Christians is that God is everywhere. Now, it's easy to say when you're in the mountains, it's easy to say um, when you talk about the stars and the rivers and, and, and the moon. I mean, places like this are easy to say, like, yeah, I feel God here. I feel God here. I mean, I saw some of us on retreat. Like, we went up to the Sacramento Mountains, and we were in those pine trees, and we're looking around, and at night, we're looking up at the stars, and we're like, like, God is here. You can feel it. But what about when you sit down to enjoy something as small as a green chili double cheeseburger? Can you feel God there? Can you be aware of his presence? And it's not a burger for everybody. For some people, it's something different. For some people, it is. It's the rivers and the valleys and the mountaintop experiences. Like, that is for some people. Um, these are the times 
uh, where you give these, these moments where you can't give explanation for. Non-believers won't even be able to give it the, the credit to God. It's just we're talking about these moments that kind of awe-inspire you. Awe-inspire you. See, God says, uh, God says in Scripture that every man, because of creation, every man is without excuse. Every man knows of God. He also says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity inside of a man's heart. So what we're talking about are these moments that make you think there has to be something more. There has to be something more. These moments where you experience God. For me, I want to be at a place where I can sit down with a green chili double and I can experience God. I want to get there. I want to get to that place where I can be aware of him at all times, where I can use my mind to say, I know God is here. But if I'm being honest, uh, it, it's not exactly a green chili double for me. For me, it's, uh, it's being at the at Elephant Butte Lake or holding babies. I just couldn't get either one of them on the stool, so I had to go with the green chili double. At Elephant Butte Lake, which is just right there on I-25, um, my, my family has a camper, but we like to sleep outside. We sleep outside on a cot under the stars. Um, because at Elephant Butte Lake, when you look up at the stars, it's not just like one or two stars like straight above you. Right above the horizon is stars. And all around you is stars. It is a canopy of stars. You feel so small. You just get lost in wonder of it all. My explanation is God. Sometimes when I hold babies, I mean, you all know Zeke, the, the baby that's walking around back there, Amber's, Amber's son, um, the one that we, we play with a lot here. I mean, when I hold him, when I think about him, I, I think about the fact that one day he's going to go to first grade. One day he's definitely going to play bitty basketball because the kid loves balls. <laughs> one day he's going to be a percussionist because he loves the drum. One day, even though Amber doesn't want to hear this, one day he's going to start liking girls. He's going to go to prom. One day he's going to fall in love. One day he's going to get married. One day he's going to be involved in the church. Now when I hold him and I'm looking at his fingers and how perfectly they're knit together and his, and his body and how, and how he's, he's just a healthy baby boy, I, I can't help but think about all this stuff. I can't assume that it was random. There has to be something more. There has to be something more. See, sometimes when we think about using our minds to pursue the faith, we think about these big textbooks. We think about seminary. We think about theology lessons and being a Bible scholar after years of studies, papers, and debates. And sometimes it's just about sitting down with a green chili double, recognizing that God is in this moment. You can call it a gut feeling when it happens. There's a philosophical term called existentialism. Practice that like 50 times. You can look that up tonight too. Whatever you want to call it, there's these moments that if we use our mind, we know that they point to God. We know that they point to God. But sometimes it's hard to believe, right? Sometimes it's hard. In, uh, in Mark chapter 9, there's a story where where Jesus is walking amongst the people, and he, and he, uh, he runs into a father that has a sick son. He has a demon-possessed son, okay? And every time the, the demon possesses this kid, his, his body gets rigid, and he foams at the mouth, and it looks like he's about to die. And so he goes up to Jesus, and he says, he says Jesus, your disciples couldn't heal him, but, but if you can, will you heal my son? And Jesus kind of snaps back at him. He says, if I can, if I can... 
All things are possible for those who believe, Jesus said. And then the father responds with one of my favorite passages in all scripture. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What a powerful statement. And in that instant, God does, and Jesus does, and he heals his son, and he, and he gets better, and he, the demon leaves him. Help my unbelief. See, some of us, we, uh, we see God in creation, like the mountains and the rivers and the little things like this, but we struggle with accepting his word as truth and as perfect. Some of us, we, uh, we look at the theory of atheism and how things were created, and we look at it, we're like, that's such, that's such a ridiculous theory. Like that, that couldn't be how it happened. But yet we're ignorant to the small things, the way God is around us all the time. See, no matter the things that we know or the miracles that we see, sometimes you're going to reach a point where you just have to pray and you just have to say, Lord, I believe. To some extent, in some capacity, I believe. But please help my unbelief. Please help my unbelief. So tonight, if you're in the room and you're struggling with belief, if something's not working out for you, or if uh, there's just some, some problem with one of these um, examples that you have and you're just having a hard time believing, can we answer some questions for you? Can you at least ask us? I'm not sure if myself or the interns are going to have answers, but can you, can you just pray with us or, or ask the questions? Tonight, if you're in the room and, and, and you believe in God, but you've been struggling and you just need someone to pray with, yeah, let's do that. Let us be there for that. Let the church be there for that. A deeper belief in God a deeper head knowledge, using our brains, using our minds to, to seek out God. It's not to pump us up. It's not to reach some level of academia that non-believers aren't at. It's to grow our faith. It's to grow our faith. The call is not just to love them with your heart and with your emotions, but with your mind and with your awareness that he's in the little things. Even this green chili double cheeseburger. We all pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, at this period of life, we have, we have professors that are telling us you're not real. We have peers that are telling us um, they don't believe or they're not going to seek you. And every Wednesday and sometimes on Sundays, we come across the street and we try to, we try to get to know you better. We try to understand some of these things, God, and it's just hard. Sometimes we struggle with belief. We believe a little bit, but, but we still have unbelief. So God, tonight I pray for everybody in this room, myself included, that you will help with our unbelief. God, just like the father who had the sick son, and he watched Jesus, I pray that tonight you can be that to us. God, I pray that tonight you can be um, right next to our unbelief and that you can smash it. Smash it to the ground, God. Your word is amazing. The creation story it, it is plausible. But God, we just want to find you in the little things tonight. I'm going to pray for that for everybody in this room. In his name I pray. Amen.